Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 131. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Thread is a podcast for leaders. It's a leader's Bible study. We go verse by verse through the scriptures, and we're looking for lessons as leaders. We're going to see some great examples of leaders in action. We'll also spot some mistakes as well. All this so we can do a better job at influencing people in our family, in our friendship circle, at work, at school, wherever God has you as a leader. In this episode of Thread, we are back into the story of the Apostle Paul. We're in Acts chapter, let me grab my Bible, Acts chapter 25. And let me give you a little backstory. He has been under the control of a governor named Felix, and Felix was corrupt, and he was abusive to the Jews who grew to hate him. And ultimately, uh, the Jewish leaders took the bold step of sending a delegation to Nero to accuse Felix of gross abuse of powers. Now, he might have been punished even with death were it not for his brother's popularity at that time with Nero. So Felix was, however, sacked and recalled to Rome. But as he left, knowing he would soon face Nero and Jewish accusers, he left Paul in prison. He actually put him back in chains because he had been free to uh, entertain guests and, and sort of had a quarters. But now he put him back in chains so that the new governor would be made biased against him and would see him as deserving punishment. The Jews hated the Romans, and they hated Felix. But for some reason, they hated Paul even more. So he hoped to assuage their anger toward him by this gesture. Now, it didn't work, by the way, but that didn't help Paul. Enter Portius Festus, chapter 25, verse 1. And Festus inherited the complete mess that Felix had made of things as a governor, especially the high hostility level from the Jews in the region. During the time of Felix, the Sicarii, uh, early assassins, terrorists, had arisen, and they, you know, the, the word means one with a dagger. And so they began to do assassinations of Romans. And they were just a scourge. And so they had risen up. It had become a big problem. Also, there were John the Baptist-type figures, false messiahs, who were promising to lead Israel back to their former glory. And they were gathering people out in the wilderness to themselves. And into all this steps Festus. History records Festus, uh, his military campaigns against the Sakari, hunting them down with elite soldiers, but, you know, governors have to work politically and diplomatically as well as using strong police powers. And so three days on the job, Festus went to Jerusalem to establish relations, hopefully better relations, with the leaders of the Jews. And he stayed in Jerusalem for 10 days, listening to their point of view about a great number of things, getting to know, you know, feeling the pulse of the local scene there. Jerusalem was such a hot-headed fundamentalist city, you know, perhaps like uh, Tehran or Beirut or Mecca today. They were an easily inflamed local population who had great emotional attachment to 
a certain set of traditional values. In this case, anything that touched on the temple or the law or anything connected to the Jews as God's chosen people, those were hot buttons. They didn't like the Romans in their land, and they really did want them to leave. Well, in uh, Festus's 10 days at Jerusalem, although he was new to the context, he can sense the deep agitation and the restlessness in the city. In 15 more years, the pot would indeed boil over one last time, and Roman legions would put the city to the sword and tear down its walls and then banish all the Jews from Palestine, and this would last for over a thousand years. One early issue that Felix had on his plate, sorry, Festus had on his plate, was old business left behind by Felix, this despised man named Paul. The Jews were so vengeful against him that he thought this man must have been a horrible menace to the peace. So he listened to their declaration that such a man had no place on the earth and he must be put to death. And they petitioned to bring him back to Jerusalem to be tried there. Verse 3 says they said this just so they could ambush him. Festus told them that, in verse 16, the trial would be in his palace in Caesarea, and that this man had the right to meet his accusers face to face. And so, in verse 7, they came to the palace in Caesarea for another trial with Paul. Let's change point of view. Let's talk about all of this from Paul's perspective. Paul had a very clear grasp of his role in life. He was called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Apostle means like a diplomat. You're a messenger sent by God to Gentile people. Now, most Jews don't seem, and as we read Paul's story, when he just says Gentile, even the word, sets people off, Jewish people. Uh, but especially that he has a special calling to them to be with them and to love them and to give them God's message because it carries the message that God also finds Gentiles chosen and special and beloved, and that threatens the place that Israel felt that they alone held in the world. Plus, Paul is polluting himself, and he's polluting Israel, and he's dragging all this Gentile filth into pure Israel, they work so hard to be righteous and pure. And here comes Paul fellowshipping with all these people who had their disgusting ways about them. And he's touching them physically. And that, you know, in their mind, that defiles you. It puts that sin on you. But Paul loved Gentile people. And he understood. He came to understand his role, because God told him the day he met Jesus, a man prophesied over him, you will bear my name before Gentiles. It's the first word before kings and the children of Israel and the seed was sown. So, you know, gradually Paul had done this ministry apostle to the Gentiles and it had taken shape. And he found himself at times speaking to leaders of Gentile cities. I mean, he got to speak to the intelligentsia at Athens, he had this amazing journey of life full of dramatic events. And in the end, the best friends he had in the world were Gentile people. And then at some stage in his life, it was actually on his third missionary journey, as he was in Europe, in Greece, and, and in Turkey, 
He sensed that he had a new mission. See, let me say something about missions. You know, our role in life won't change. Paul was called to be an apostle and specifically an apostle to Gentiles. That didn't change from the day he met Christ till the day he died. That was Paul's role. However, Paul's mission changed repeatedly. Mission, a lot of times we make mission into this big life thing. Missions are short term. They may take a few years to accomplish. But a mission is a thing God wants you to do, not a thing he wants you to be. It's a thing he wants you to do. And when you do this thing, you can eventually accomplish it. You know, it's not like a carrot on a stick uh, way out in front of you and you're chasing after it and you can never actually reach it. The mission is something specific God wants you to do. And Paul has accomplished many missions in his life. And now God gives him another one. You're going to witness for me to kings and rulers, and you will witness for me in Rome. And oh, Paul had such a heart for Rome. He tells the Romans that he tried many times to go there. And now God was telling him that he was going to send him to Rome. Now, somehow Paul knew that although he was physically close to Rome, I mean, he was in Greece for years, his path to Rome had to start in Jerusalem. And so he, turned, he returned home. He went home to Jerusalem to begin his new mission to Rome. Verse, chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, I'm going there to finish my race with joy. As far as Paul could sense, going to Jerusalem, he would end up in Rome, and that would be the final chapter of his life. And so, although everyone begged him not to go home, don't go to Jerusalem. We know bad things are going to happen if you do that. And even people prophesied that Paul was going to suffer violence if he went to Jerusalem. He told them, you know, don't break my heart. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to die. I've got to fulfill my mission. God gave me a mission, and I've got to fulfill it. And so he went to Jerusalem. And sure enough, as soon as he got to Jerusalem, events moved very quickly. First, he got to meet with James and the elders of the church and, you know, finally cement his calling to Gentiles and, and hopefully their understanding of what God was doing outside of their little city and understand that there's a whole world to reach with the gospel and the Father is at work doing just that. So he got to meet with J to James and the elders and pass this thought into their minds. And then he went into the temple and there was a huge disruption, and he was dragged and savagely beaten by the people there. He was arrested by the Roman, uh, the one in charge of the city of Jerusalem, and he was allowed to address the multitudes of Jews in the temple. And so he told his testimony to all of them. And then the next day, he got to give his testimony again to the whole Jewish Sanhedrin. That was awesome. He had never gotten to do that before. And then he was transferred to the regional governor, Felix, and he got to stress to him the same message. One, we have free will. Number two, we will be judged for our behavior because of free will. Number three, but if we repent of our sin and change and turn from it, Jesus has paid for our sins and his blood will cover us and he will set us free. We'll be found innocent with God. We'll be adopted into his family. He will transform us and bring a new life inside of us. And he preached this gospel to this Roman leader, Felix. 
And Felix trembled. His Jewish wife heard the gospel too. And so, you know, Paul has started this new mission and he's, things are happening. It's very exciting. It's dangerous, but it's dramatic. He knows he's going to make it to Jerusalem, I mean, to uh, Rome, and he just doesn't know how this works. But every day has something new happening. It's drama, it's action, and his life is in motion. And then things slowed to a complete halt. Paul sits for days in jail in Caesarea in Felix's prison. Nothing happens. No news about his case. No date set for his trial. He waits a hundred days. Then two hundred days. Then a complete year goes by. Four hundred sunrises and sunsets. Five hundred days. Six hundred days. Slogging through. No progress, just the drip. Inaction is a special kind of trial. You know, in the, when things are moving quickly, uh, it's very dramatic. It can be scary, but, it, you know, it's motion. It's never a dull moment. But when inaction settles in and, like, the wind stops and you're in a sailboat and you, you can't do anything, you can... It's hard on your morale. It's a special kind of trial. You can lose your drive because you can't move. There's nothing you can do. It's kind of like a chess game. And everything was in play for Paul. And then Felix made this move and froze him in place. So now Paul is stuck in this grinding, cautious, slow game. And it's not even his move. It's, slow, it's sort of like, I don't know if you play chess, but it's like every position is frozen and it's not your turn to move. And you're waiting for the other guy to move. And he takes, you know, an hour. He takes a half a day, he takes a day. Now it's two years you've been staring at the chessboard waiting on this guy to move. And there is no move. You can't move and he won't move and you're just stuck. And that was Paul's life. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's your life right now. I don't know. But then the situation changes. The new guy sits down at the chessboard. Festus takes over, calls Paul to trial suddenly two weeks later. And Paul finds himself once again in court. But this time, everything's different. Paul realizes this game is now rigged, and he can see it. The Jews have had 10 days to poison the mind of the judge. And Paul has only met this man now. So there he stands in his dirty clothes, hands in chains. And the accusation begins, but their case has no evidence. That's clear. And Paul realizes that politics will decide this one. Festus needs to do the Jews a favor to get his administration started on the right foot. And so let's move the trial to Jerusalem, he says. Why would he do that? So its outcome can be seen by all in Jerusalem. They can run shouting to the execution place. This is going to play out nicely for political gain. And so now it's Paul's turn to make a move. And he makes a bold move. It's like early in the game, attacking with your queen in chess. I mean, if you lose a queen, you're in trouble. And Paul just makes this bold move, one move. I appeal to Caesar. And in that one move, 
He asserts control over his own life's path. He puts his story back in motion because, look, if you don't get anything else out of this thread, get this point, only action moves the story forward. Some people confuse thinking with action or planning with action or hoping with action. My friend, listen, because I've got experience and I can tell you all about this. It will all just sit there idling and neutral for as long as you let it because spiritual resistance targets forward motion. Let me say it again. Your life is just going to sit there idling for as long as you allow it to because spiritual resistance targets you against forward motion. If you sit still, everything will just sit still all around you. Now, there are many kinds of action. Some people just know about emotional action. That's the thoughtless, unplanned action driven by emotional pressure or the feelings of the day. And then there's the action of retreating where you surrender, you quit, you throw in the towel. That's an action, but it's a, you know, it's a negative action. Then there's knee-jerk reaction where you're not, even, you're not in control. Someone else is in control they made a move and you made a counter move and it's not your move at all. You're, you're losing direction in your own life because you're not acting anymore. You're just reacting. You're sitting there passive and letting things happen and then you're just reacting to it. And then there's inaction when you're just, you're frozen, your fingers hovering over the button, but you won't push it, you know? You're just frozen in anxiety, the paralysis of analysis, especially if there's a clear downside. And in this case, there's a very clear downside. Nero is a madman. He burns people for torches. He wraps them in in animal skins and covers them in pitch and then ties them to pillars and sets them on fire and drives his chariot by them. He's a crazy person. But, you know, sometimes even... And I'm not the only one that would say this. Sometimes even an imperfect decision is better than no decision. Sometimes the most important thing is to act. You know, like get the wheels moving. You can always adjust later. A lot of, you know, most decisions are not final. But sitting still is just the place where nothing is happening. You know, the bad stuff is gathering around you and you're not doing anything. You got to move. Fortune favors the bold. So, yes, Nero's a madman, but all progress requires action, and all action has risk, and inaction has risk too. Paul knows his role. I'm a missionary to the Gentiles. He knows his mission. His mission is not to stay safe. His mission is to reach Rome. And so Paul commits himself to a course that will take him toward his goal. It's the best move he has And with boldness, he makes it. And this really irritates Festus because he loses his political advantage and he loses control of the game. He was in charge of Paul and he could dangle Paul. He had Paul under his thumb and Paul now takes all that power away from him and he moves his life forward. And Festus says, you have appealed to Caesar. Well, to Caesar, you shall go because he gets the insult. Paul has said, you are not a fair judge. Paul actually says to his face, you know full well that I have done no wrong. Verse 10. Um, He took charge of his life. I encourage you to take charge of your life. You know, I've been sitting on a decision 
here in Thailand for two years. I've been doing research on it. I've been getting legal things organized. My hands were tied in a lot of ways, and I could not go forward with this. It does have a potential downside, but it's got a huge future. If I make this decision, it's about uh, buying a large piece of property and establishing a creativity center for Asia and a leadership development place. And uh, we have something now, but it's uh, they're meager facilities, not really great. The future facilities, they cost money. There's legal stuff involved. There's lots of hassles and headaches and, and, a, and a little bit of risk. But it's like, man, if I don't do it, we're just stuck. We've been stuck for two, three years now, and I finally got a chance to make a move. And I'm going to make a move, God willing, by the end of this month. I'm going to pull the trigger on this, and I'm searching every day. I'm out uh, looking at all the property that's available and, you know, which one's perfect. I don't know, but by the end of this month, I'm going to pick one. And whichever one's the best deal going for us at the end of this month, God willing, I'm going to nail it down, and we're going to buy it. And we're going to move forward because action moves your story forward. So let's be active and keep our own life moving forward. Don't hand over control of your life to other people or to circumstances. If you can take it back, take it back. It's important as a leader that you keep things moving forward. If you're not making progress, you're going backwards. So anytime you can coast, it only means you're going downhill. So let's keep that uphill progress going. And if you want to talk to me about anything that's going on in your own life, just give me a email. I'll give you my personal email address, chuck at quinley.com. And if you have not checked out medialightonline.com, you've got to check this. We've got, uh, wow, all kinds of helpful resources there. There's podcasts. There's a new podcast going to come out. We've got short courses. Just check it out, medialightonline.com. I'd love to see you there. We've got a forum uh, where you can meet some other people just like you with a heart to serve God as leaders in your generation. So God bless you. See you next time on Thread.